This episode took me on quite a research trip, and I found out during this last-minute edit that I left out some things and needed to correct the pronunciation of Gigantopithecus, which is the scientific term for the world's largest ape, which is thought by some researchers to have died out thousands of years ago. In the story to come, I called it Gigantopithecus, so many apologies for my error. Also, in the coming episode, I failed to mention the work of the BFRO, the Bigfoot Field Research Organization, which I'll mention here in this update, because when I went back in to edit my show, the data file had disappeared, and despite hours of efforts to find it, I haven't been able to, so I couldn't edit this info into my episode. Think of this as a prelude to our episode, and thanks to all of you for your enduring patience on this journey into the unexplained. Here's my update. There are a number of websites out there that deal with sightings and research of Bigfoot-type cryptids, but the one that carries the most weight is the BFRO, known as the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization, and found at www.bfro.net. Founded in 1995, the BFRO is the oldest and largest organization of its kind. As they describe it on their About page, it is a virtual community of scientists, journalists, and specialists from diverse backgrounds dedicated to the study of Bigfoot-type creatures in ways that will not harm them. All of their research thus far brings to light the fact that no Bigfoot in recent history has ever attacked a human. They tend to shy away from humans and exhibit enough caution that there has never been a report of one being hit by a car or a truck. They've never been found in traps, and they tend to only frequent wilderness areas, and mostly at night. The BFRO website has a tremendous collection of Bigfoot reports from across North America and internationally, and it is the only collection that follows up on the more credible reports by sending qualified researchers to interview and add their results to the report. The reports are divided into three classes, A, B, and C. Class A involves clear sightings in circumstances where misinterpretation or misidentification of other animals can be ruled out with greater confidence. For example, there are several footprint cases that are very well documented. These are considered Class A reports because misidentification of common animals, such as bears, can be confidently ruled out. Class B reports probably involve sightings at great distance or poor light or sound-only cases, all of which fall into Class B. These are not less credible or less important. For example, one Class B report from Trinity, California, involved a very credible witness who backpacked into a remote area that had a history of Sasquatch-related incidents. He described various occurrences that happened around his camp at night that are strongly suspected to be Sasquatch-related. These types of reports often involve howls, tree branches breaking, voice mimicry, and loud knocks on trees using broken branches. These are almost always interpreted as efforts on the creature's part to frighten humans in order that they leave the area. Class C is usually second- or third-hand reports, often with untraceable sources. Again, it doesn't mean it's false, it just means the likelihood for misinterpretation is higher. To give you an example, this is report number 24266, a Class A report submitted by a witness and verified by a BFRO investigator. Year, 2006. Season, fall, month, November. State, Florida. County, 
Pasco County. Location details. At edge of Cypress Creek Well Field, a 7,400-acre conservation area. Water is piped to St. Pete while the land is open to hikers, horses, and bikes. Flatlands, swamp, and creeks during the wet season. Nearest town, Landa Lakes. Nearest road, Aaron Cutoff. Observed. One day, my son and his friend ran out of the woods next to the house out of breath and scared. They said they had seen something big. I asked them what color, and my son said brown. I assumed it was a deer or wild pig, as there are many around. I just told them to be careful and brushed it off. A month or so later, there was a show about Bigfoot on TV, and my son came to me and asked if there were Bigfoot in Florida. I told him no, and that they stay up north. I didn't want him to be scared of the woods. I didn't tell him about the Florida skunk ape sightings. About six months later, my neighbor called me to ask if I or my family had ever seen anything unusual in the woods. I was sitting in the car with my son waiting for school to open. My neighbor told me about the sightings he and others had last fall. My son heard the conversation and then started interrupting me, telling me he had seen it. My neighbor heard him over the phone and started giving me questions to ask. Height? Very tall, taller than my parents. Color? Reddish-brown. Was there a bad smell? Yes. I asked him what did the ears look like. Were they pointy, rounded, or what? He said he didn't see any ears, just head and hair. My son and friend were playing in the woods when he saw something moving in undergrowth. He saw the back of something that looked like it was on all fours. As the back was large and tall, he decided to move closer to the house. He felt very nervous. As they were leaving, it seemed as if the something was moving toward them. He also remembers sticks being thrown. He urged his friend to move on. Then at one point he turned to look and saw this large thing looking at him from behind a tree at about ten feet back. It was standing up and very big and tall. The tree was at least two feet in diameter, yet it had wrapped one arm all the way around it. There were many vines and branches on the trunk, so he didn't get a good look at the body, but he insisted it was standing on two feet, not hanging on the trunk. He said the eyes spooked him. He started running, and his friend followed. That is when I saw them coming out of the woods, all out of breath. I asked him why he didn't tell me he saw Bigfoot when he came out of the woods, instead of saying, something big. He said that he didn't know there was such a thing as Bigfoot. Then when he saw the show on TV, he asked me if they were in Florida, and I had said no. So he filed it away until my conversation with my neighbor reminded him. And then the next category of the report, other witnesses. My son and his friends, both approximately 10 to 11 years old, were playing in the sighting area. They liked to eat tangerines and play on vines, trees, and logs. The friend did not see, but he realized my son was upset. Category, other stories. A neighbor was telling me about sightings he and others in the area had during the same period. When my son overheard the conversation, that's when he told me of his. Time and conditions. Afternoon, sunny, warm. Swampy area was covered overhead by thick tree and vine growth, so it was dark underneath. Environment. Swampy area approximately 50 yards from home. Area is between home and rest of well field. Some palmetto areas. There are many wild tangerine trees left from when land around it had some orange groves 50 to 70 years ago. Swamp has some dry areas with large puddle creeks all over.
And here's the investigation report by the BFRO investigator, Kathy Betts. The witness, J.G., is my 14-year-old nephew, and after I interviewed him, he had these details to add. J.G., 12 years old at the time, and two friends, a 13-year-old and his younger brother, were playing in the woods near his house. The woods border a large conservation area and are comprised of swamp, oak forests, and piney shrubland. While playing and making the usual sorts of boyish ruckus noises, the boys heard sticks breaking and the sounds of something large approaching them through the thick undergrowth. Feeling apprehensive, the two older boys began to move slowly back towards the house while the youngest boy ran home. J.G. reported that at this point he turned around and saw something tall behind a tree. He exclaimed to his friend, What's that? But the friend didn't look back, instead choosing to keep up his retreat. J.G. states that what he saw was a man-thing that was peering from behind a large tree from about 25 feet away. He says that it was covered in hair and that most of its body was hidden behind the tree. He does not recall much about its body except that it was sort of humpbacked and tall, much taller than his six-foot-tall father, and that it was definitely standing on two legs. He stated that its head was sort of roundish and that its head sat squarely on its shoulders. He only saw one shoulder, which he described as being huge and really buff. When asked about the hair, J.G. described it as being darkish brown and that it appeared well-groomed. What J.G. recalls most vividly was the creature's face, particularly its eyes. He gave a detailed description of it having blackish lips, no ears, a sort of gorilla nose, and that the hair on its head was like a cross between people hair and animal hair. But when asked to draw a picture of what he had seen, J.G. only drew the eyes. He states that they were brown and piercing, and that it is what he remembers most about the creature. J.G. remembers the sighting as having taken place about 1 p.m. and that it only lasted about 10 seconds, or less, before he also turned and ran. Although the witness is my nephew, he had experienced this sighting long before I had started doing investigative work with the BFRO. J.G. is adamant about what he had seen, and I believe that what he had witnessed was a Bigfoot. There are hundreds of reports like this one at BFRO.net, and they cover the U.S. and the world. So for those of you in the 200 countries we reach here, take a look and see what has been reported in your part of the world. Sighting reports sent to the BFRO are analyzed, evaluated, and investigated with techniques and approaches derived from the legal profession, law enforcement, and investigative journalism. To the question, is there any physical evidence at all? This is their reply. The short answer, yes, there is quite a bit of physical evidence. Tracks, hair, scat, and tree damage are all physical evidence. People tend to misuse this phrase when what they really mean is physical remains. And then the BFRO gives you uh, section after section in answers to the most common questions asked, and it's very, very interesting. Another great thing about this website is that they provide a map of United States sighting reports, uh, listing state by state, and they'll give you the number of listings, the most recent report, and the last posted. And for those of you in different states, I'll give you some of the ones on the leaderboard here. California, 434 listings, most recent, February 2017. Florida, 310 sightings, most recent, February 2017. Illinois, 279 sightings, Again, most recent, February 2017. North Carolina with 96. 
most recent March of 2016. Ohio, 267, most recent December 2016. Oregon, 243 sightings, uh, most recent March 2016. Texas, 219 sightings, most recent January 2017. Uh, Washington State, 623 sightings, uh, January 2017, the most recent. Then you open up the state, and it'll give you each county in the state. Uh, For instance, in Florida, it it lists sightings in almost every county, not quite every one. And some of your counties with the most sightings, uh, you've got 11 in Broward, 16 in Clay, 21 in Collier, 18 in Lake County, 11 in in Levy County, 18 in Marion County, 5 in Okaloosa, 3 in Okeechobee, 16 in Polk, uh, and so on. So very, very interesting reading here with regard to... uh, with regard to reports. And when you start looking at the whole U.S. and taking it down county by county, I don't know. I haven't counted them, but uh, I'd say high hundreds or maybe into the thousands going back to 1995. And then also reports that recount experiences before 1995. So you've got all different types of reports. You really have to take it uh, seriously before you make your decision. Do I think these exist or don't I? Or am I just going to wait for evidence? Please stay tuned for our episode, Florida's Skunk Ape in its entirety. How many times in your life have you really been scared? Most of us spend most of our lives surrounded by the relative security of friends and family, home and hearth. Technology has put to rest many fears of the unknown, separating hoaxes from reality and classifying unknown species of animals, putting a name on things that move in the dark places just beyond the campfire. There are wilderness regions on every continent that have never been explored by man, that we know, other than occasional hunters or tribesmen, and those legends from the indigenous peoples that went before us still exist in number. Legends of creatures that stood on two legs, some with demonic powers that want to bring harm to humans, many more only wishing to be left alone. The legends, the sightings, the stories of these two-legged creatures, once you start searching them, are many. There are the Yeti in Nepal, the Mapinguari in Brazil, the Yeren in China, the Almas in Kazakhstan, and the Higabon in Japan, just to name a few. And don't forget Gigantopithecus, a 10-foot-tall, 1,000-pound distant relative of the orangutan that lived in ancient Southeast Asia. They've been going on since man could draw them on cave walls, and they're being seen today. Men and women living in more primitive circumstances were much more sensitive to threat than we are today. They lived close to nature and had good reason to fear everything from wolves to neighboring tribes. Their senses were kept sharp, and they had no doubt a very well-developed sixth sense, which helped to keep them alive. They could sense trouble a mile away, where we, sharing a drink or a smoke at a campfire deep in the wilderness, can't see it or sense it 50 feet away. Maybe your horses can, or a dog, if you have one along. And you could probably recall those moments pretty clearly. Probably a grizzly or a mountain lion, you tell yourself, if you're in their range. You throw another log in the fire and quiet the horses. Afterwards, staring into the fire, you wonder. I decided to look into the possibility of two-legged creatures other than man and known apes existing in today's wilderness. For the skeptic, the question has always been, If Bigfoot exists, why have we never found one? 
Why hasn't some hunter or researcher brought one in? Wouldn't there be bones? These are hoaxes, say the skeptics. Modern science has dispelled this stuff. It's a good argument. How about you? What's your opinion? You're invited to chime in at facebook.com forward slash 1001heroes where I'm going to be posting this episode or Twitter at 1001podcast. We'd like to hear your opinions. Have you ever had an encounter? Do you know anybody who has? So I decided to dig in and find what I could find, and as you might expect, I was surprised, really surprised, at how many sightings and stories there are about these creatures worldwide. And stories and entries are from real people, most of whom don't want their names mentioned because they don't want to be harassed by skeptics. Real people who recall the sightings in a matter-of-fact way, not looking for headlines. Others from scientists, self-made researchers, curiosity seekers, and known explorers on research missions. Of course, there's always the three stone guys in the woods who hear something crashing through the brush and run into trees trying to get back to their car. Admittedly, fun reading. As it turns out, there are living things, creatures, some man-like, some animal-like, that are wise enough to avoid man and his weapons and his fire, and for their own survival, have learned to mostly move at night. In some instances, there are plausible explanations of what these creatures might be. In other cases, you are invited to decide. Although my interest is mostly in those that stand upright, called hominids. They take on different forms. There's an entire science dedicated to them, called cryptozoology, defined as the study of creatures whose existence has yet to be, or else cannot entirely be, proved or disproved by science. These creatures, known collectively as cryptids, include examples like the Loch Ness Monster, Bigfoot, and the Himalayan Yeti. Yet these famous cases are by no means the only ones on record, and that's where it gets really interesting. Based upon my research of hundreds of accounts, it's very likely there's a cryptid in your region or state, and one that can rip through your tent and turn you into a missing person faster than you can dial 911 if you weren't too terrified to hold your phone steady and punch in the three numbers. In one of the Florida videos we provide a link to in our show notes, the man filming what appears to be a swamp ape becomes so frightened that he starts running as fast as he can in the other direction, the camera giving us a great shot of the grass below his feet as he makes his escape. All faked? You can watch and decide. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. But normally these creatures know that survival for them means to stay away from man and they've adapted to living in the darkness and in the wild places. And the stories are increasing as man pushes more and more into the wild places. You, our listeners, while you're driving your car or truck, or waiting at the repair shop, or just relaxing with your favorite drink, are invited to join us here at the campfire, hear these stories, and decide for yourselves if they're true, or just figments of someone's imagination. Or maybe you're in your RV or tent at some wilderness campground, or sitting near the back window in your home in Florida's Everglades, or on the edge of Maine's Allagash Wilderness. There's actually a lot of wilderness left in North America. Is that wind shaking the RV? What's your dog barking at in the woods behind the house? At one point, you're going to grab your Glock and start to open that back door, and in that moment before you take that first step outside, you're going to ask yourself, am I feeling lucky?
The first of the stories that really grabbed my attention comes from a remote area of swampy wilderness in Florida, USA, called Green Swamp, which is located between Orlando and Tampa. This recent ongoing story is the one, in my opinion, that will give us the first documented creature proof of an upright cryptid, thanks to the efforts of two very salty guys who have made it their business to find proof the cryptozoologists need to prove that the creature exists. And they need more than plaster casts of footprints and reports of sightings. The Florida creature carries a number of names, the most popular being the skunk ape, and the legends go back to the early days of human settlement in Florida. The swamp ape, a large, hairy bipedal, meaning walking on two feet, mammal, is said to inhabit the southern United States, but it's most often spotted in Florida. It gets its name from its unpleasant odor, which is said to be similar to rotten eggs or methane. Although reports of the creature were most common in the 60s and 70s, sightings continue today and have been ramping up, but the most famous one took place in 2000. That year, two photographs of an animal taken in Sarasota near the Miyaka River that alleged that were alleged to be pictures of the skunk ape were mailed to the Sarasota Sheriff's Department in Florida, along with a letter from a woman who said she'd photographed the creature in her backyard. She said that the cryptid had entered her yard for three nights and taken apples from her porch. She was convinced the animal was an escaped orangutan, but the police dispatched to her house several times never saw the animal. The National Park Service says the skunk ape is a myth that developed from Native American legends. But according to the Skunk Ape Research Headquarters, the creature might be part of the same species as Bigfoot. Where is the Skunk Ape National Research Headquarters, you ask? Right there in the middle of the Everglades at the Big Cypress Trail Lake Campgrounds, where nationally recognized swamp ape expert Dave Sheely, who runs a guide service, as well as a kitschy souvenir shop, zoo, and campground, and promises to take you on a skunk ape hunting expedition for 500 bucks if you're interested. According to the About Dave write-up on his website at www.skunkape.info, Dave has lived in the Everglades most of his life. He has spotted the footprints a number of times and has made plaster casts of them. Skunk apes are about 7 feet tall, have reddish-brown hair, walk upright, and leave behind a very unpleasant skunk-like odor. The last offer I spotted at his website for a hunting trip was 2014, so it is possible they may have been Dave's last. There is no confirmation as to whether or not he returned, and the offer has not been updated. The skunk ape is also known as the Swamp Cabbage Man, Swamp Ape, Stink Ape, Florida Bigfoot, Louisiana Bigfoot, Miyaka Ape, Swamp Squatch, and Miyaka Skunk Ape, named after the Miyaka River in Florida, and he's defined as a hominid cryptid and been seen in Florida, North Carolina, and Arkansas, although reports from Florida are the most common. Some people have theorized that the Miyaka River skunk ape might be a descendant of animals that were used in the filming of Tarzan movies, animals that either escaped or were released into the Florida wilderness back in the 20s when they stopped filming. Keep in mind that even domestic apes can tear your face off at a whim. Think what a breed living in the wild can do. In 1974, sightings of a large, foul-smelling, hairy, ape-like creature, which ran upright on two legs, were reported in suburban neighborhoods of Dade County, Florida. Skeptical investigator Joe Nickel has written that some of those reports may represent sightings of the black bear, and it is likely that other sightings are hoaxes or misidentification of wildlife. Nickel 
Ph.D. and Senior Research Fellow of the CSI, known as the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry, is an author and investigator of strange phenomena and has spent years collecting information on the skunk ape. He has compiled over 100 years of reports and believes that it is highly likely that the swamp ape, which he admits is very similar to Bigfoot, is most likely a bear, an animal which shares many like characteristics and which is obviously known to exist. The bear's footprints, he says, especially in the late summer, often lack claw marks, as do the captured footprints of the swamp ape, and resemble a human foot in many ways. A large black bear can stand over seven feet tall, walking on all fours at moderate speeds, Joe says. The fore and hind feet can superimpose, giving the appearance of a bipedal animal's tracks and matching reports of swamp ape or Bigfoot tracks. In his reports, Nickel quotes a sighting from 1969 in Davie, Florida, where a man reported seeing a smelly, growling Bigfoot in an abandoned guava orchard, and another man at the same time spotted a huge, black Bigfoot treed by dogs in an orange grove. It swung away through the trees, then dived into a canal. Joe's assessment of the report reads, Black bears feed on various fruit and even climb trees for food with broken fruit tree branches being among the common signs of black bear activity. He continues, I suspect the phrase swung away through the trees in the account crept in because of the notion that skunk apes are ape-like. I suggest the man misperceived how the bear made its mad scramble through the branches to the canal. Uh, Joe, you're assuming the man who made this report did not see what he says he saw and mistook a mad scramble through the branches, that being the very shaky outer branches of a tree above the dogs, to literally swinging across the branches in the manner of an orangutan. I tend to take the report at its word. Here's another. In 1971, at Crystal River, four men saw four man-like animals on an embankment outside a massive forest. The animals were picking at some plants, which the men, upon investigating later, found were pulled from the earth. The creatures were furry from head to toe and had long arms and large heads that were not proportionate to their bodies. Joe's response to this report. The description here is quite similar to bears, among whose feeding signs is ground pawed up for roots. Again, I think Joe's missing it here. First, have you ever seen a bear in the wild? If you have, you can tell it's a bear. By its head, By its body, its forelegs, its hind legs, its butt, its back, and its snout. It's a bear. So when four men, all of whom know what a bear looks like, all see these four creatures in daylight and describe them as furry from head to toe with long arms and large heads, does that sound like they're describing bears? Would they even bother to report this? Or like Joe, we can assume these men just hatched yesterday And like Adam and Eve, we're witnessing wildlife for the first time. And like Joe, the United States National Park Service considers the skunk ape to be a hoax. And they encourage you, please enjoy all the camping areas in the beautiful state of Florida. And remember not to leave trash behind for the bears. Keep all this in mind when you smell a skunk and hear a growl coming from 15 feet away from your tent. That you know isn't coming from a skunk or a bear. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. 
That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Next, let's move to recent work being done in Florida by two men who have dedicated most of the past three years to proving the existence of the skunk ape, Chris Connor and Mike Barton. Barton, according to Bill Kearney's article titled Two Men's Quest for the Florida Skunk Ape in the Miami Times, August 2016, is a lank six foot four, 63-year-old who moves as if he were in his 30s. Chris Connor is described as a compact 50-year-old with a drawl that, quote, seems more military than Southern, is an Army vet who served in Bosnia, the Gulf War, and Afghanistan. Together, they've taken more than 50 trips into the Green Swamp an 875-square-mile protected area that provides a wilderness refuge for swamp apes and other wildlife between Orlando and Tampa. On these ventures, which are well-documented through video, the two men have never spotted another human. They have encountered the unexplainable. The last time we were out, Connor tells the reporter, we heard a female, to which Barton added, they seem to want to get closer to us as they're getting familiar with us. They have a growl. Connor, who grew up in Florida, saw one as he and his sister were playing near a swamp in an area that later became a subdivision. The image of the huge creature loping along the banana trees haunted him for decades. Then, a few years ago, he watched an episode of Finding Bigfoot on the Animal Planet, and he got the itch. Barton, a pastor at an independent church, and Connor's co-worker at a company in Lakeland, shared the same interest, and the two decided to go all in on documenting the swamp ape. Using top-quality audio gear, heat-sensing FLIR cameras, and GoPros to document their discoveries, they've been making plaster casts of swamp ape footprints and capturing every image and sound they can. Both Connor and Barton are convinced they're close to finding the type of evidence that will prove conclusive to the swamp ape's existence as a previously undiscovered species. Every few years, cryptozoologists do uncover a new find. Examples the discovery of the much-rumored but never-found Okapi, a sort of mini-giraffe with stripes and short neck found in remote parts of Africa. Then the World Wildlife Fund uncovered 163 new species in the Mekong region of Thailand, which included a large fanged frog that eats birds. Then just last year, a new whale species that had been discovered. Then just last year, a new whale species that had been discovered washed up in the Bering Sea. Legends of Bigfoot, a tall, hairy creature that is theoretically a hominid, are common all over the globe. There are the Yeti in Nepal, the Mapinguari in Brazil, the Yeren in China, the Almas in Kazakhstan, and the Higabon in Japan. Gigantopithecus, a 10-foot-tall, 1,000-pound distant relative of the orangutan that lived in ancient Southeast Asia, is often cited as a potential evolutionary link but fossil records indicate that they died off around 100,000 years ago during a climate shift. Scientists also believe Gigantopithecus was likely not a biped and would therefore have hip biomechanics that are different from the skunk apes. The watershed moment in North American belief in Bigfoot is the now iconic Patterson-Gimlin film shot in Northern California in 1967. 
It shows a big, stocky, human-like beast striding through a forest clearing. Most shocking is the muscularity of the animal's legs and butt. It does not look to be a normal man in a floppy gorilla suit. It has a solid and almost graceful appearance. And, by the way, if you and your buddies are considering donning ape suits and running through the swamp, think twice about the number of people who would like to put a bullet in your head and cash in on being the first person to have brought in a cryptid who was mistaken for a bear. Jeez, I had no idea. Ha <laughs> ha. If you're going to the swamp, think also of the gators out there, as well as the risk of drowning helpless in a gorilla suit in two feet of water while your buddies are doing live video on you, thinking you're clowning around. Getting back to the Patterson-Gimlin film, the film launched a Bigfoot fever that took hold in 70s Florida, so much so that the Yeti newsletter began a bi-monthly publication in St. Augustine. Here are some highlights. In 1973, a mother skunk ape and her three-foot-tall baby scared a child off a tricycle in Brooksville, north of Tampa. When the human family ran from the house, they witnessed the baby skunk ape turning the wheel of the upturned trike. The baby then returned to its mother, which stood seven feet tall. The humans noted an unusual pungent odor before the skunk apes hurried into the woods without the tricycle. In 1974, a skunk ape was struck at night by a car on the western fringe of Hollywood, Florida, denting the fender and leaving strands of hair, which no one followed up on. The creature limped into the brush. An officer on the scene didn't follow, but there were fires set by locals, a helicopter search, and random firing of weapons in hopes of bagging the creature. And then you get some reports that are just too outlandish to believe. I started doing one, but I couldn't keep it together, so I've added it to the end as a blooper. Hope you enjoy it. And then the Internet happened. Like-minded folks interested in any form of animal could validate one another, argue, and form a cocoon of belief. YouTube is a breeding ground for skunk ape hawking attention seekers, and the results run the gamut from sleazy clickbait to disturbingly realistic. One clip called Florida Skunk Ape Caught on Game Camera shows random photos of gardens, a trail camera, and then sulking behind a tree, an animal that is clearly a gorilla. Others include the larger-than-life skunk ape personality named Tim Fasano, who claims to have been in talks with Animal Planet in 2011, and who was exposed by a rival who said he was also running a blog that viciously attacked the claims of skunk apers. Apparently, there were death threats, and Fasano quit the Bigfooting game. Still, other YouTube clips are chillingly convincing. One video from 2013 shows the rear view of what looks like a gorilla patiently ripping open the bottom of a cypress tree. When the animal stands up, it becomes clear that it's huge, tall, long-legged, and of no species currently known to science. The cameraman flees after shooting footage of the beast, looking at something glimmering in its hand. The comments on the bottom were not kind to this guy, calling him a huge pussy. I put it up in the show notes for you. There are a bunch of skeptics out there, and rightly so. No poop, no bodies, no bones does not a creature make. Sharon Hill is a geologist and editor of DoubtfulNews.com, a website where she pulls the rug out from under skunkate believers. She also casts a critical eye on the perils of scam faith healers, astrologers, and psychics. I've written for some Bigfoot skunk ape blogs, and boy, they don't want me around, she says. I've been booted out of a couple of forums. They just don't want to be questioned. Hill contends a lot of Bigfooters use predictable arguments that don't add up to actual evidence, 
and engage in what she calls anomaly hunting. You'll notice that they look for things in the environment, tree configurations, sounds, smells, dark shapes in the distance, and consider them anomalies. Then they put their own creative interpretation onto them. They don't seem to consider normal explanations very much. No one observed an animal making that tree arch. A storm could have done it. Implausible? Yes, but not as implausible as an unknown large intelligent ape avoiding human contact in a regularly visited landscape. Hill watched a few of the Connor Barton videos. I found them kind of boring, she said. As for the sense that there's something out there in the swamp, Hill says, I don't doubt that it's unnerving to be out there, but to say it's something that we haven't discovered yet, there's just no rationale for that. They have to eat, and they have to poop, and they have to leave tracks, and they have to leave hair and DNA and bodies. We're just not finding that. Hill was once a believer. Ever since I was little, I liked to read about monster stories and paranormal stuff. But after I got trained in science, you know, you sort of take a different view of the world. She doesn't think most Bigfooters are lying. Many are just looking for something interesting in their life. Maybe they don't love their regular job, and they like to get out on the weekends and do something more exciting. How would she feel if a skunk ape were verified? That would be so great, she says. That would be amazing and exciting. I want it to be true. I'm just not convinced by the evidence. Yet. Bring me a body, bring me DNA, and I'll be convinced. Connor, though, has an explanation for the lack of bodies. They go out there and recover their own dead. They are that intelligent. Skeptics can say a lot of things, but most skeptics don't go out there and experience it themselves. Just because you don't lay eyes on something doesn't mean there's nothing there. If I can yell out into the woods and get a knock back, that's a pattern. There's conjecture, of course, but it does not mean what you're experiencing is make-believe. His partner Barton says, I've accepted that no matter what kind of evidence you have, it'll never be enough for some people. Unless you're sitting down having beer and pizza with a skunk ape and you get that kind of footage, it's always going to be conjecture and subjective, Connor adds. Both believe that all the skepticism has scared off more rigorous examination. We have spoken to academics who say, I'm not allowed to say I'm out doing this. They basically risk tenure and the ability to be considered credible, Connor says. The Miami New Times article continued by quoting Connor as saying, We're not into paranormal crap, but out here, we hear voices. They hear us talk. It's mimicry. They seem to be incredibly patient, beyond our understanding. Barton told the reporter, We feel like they see time differently. They can sit for hours and not be seen. We've been out to our areas enough that we can interact with them without being harmed as long as we don't push the envelope. In January of 2015, Connor and Barton witnessed hearing a feral hog being killed not 50 yards away and had to signal their approach to the site just in case it was a bow hunter. Not that any humans, much less any bow hunters, had been seen by the two men in this remote swamp area, but still. And when they got to the site of the kill, nothing. No one was there. Both men readily admitted that in certain periods of the winter, when the sand island was dry and bare, and game was very scarce, they avoided the area for the most part, not wanting to become a next meal. And perhaps the strangest of all the encounters in the green swamp, Barton and Connor shared an experience that had taken place just two weeks before the Miami News interview. Upon entering the swamp, Barton had encountered what he described as a tall, shimmering figure, which made him jump back 
causing him to nearly fall over. It was like the movie Predator, Connor admitted. Barton continued by saying that when he took a second look, trying to replicate the light angle, it was gone. I didn't see it again, he said, but I know what I saw. I definitely know what I saw. From this angle, the shimmering does have a biological precedent. Platelets on the skin of certain types of fish can make them invisible to predators at certain angles. And as I searched that fact for this story, it seemed like all those studies only applied to fish and sea life. Until recently, however, and those of you with scientific minds will appreciate this, we all know that there are land-based species that owe their survival through the ages to their ability to adapt their coloration to their environment. Fine. And we know of the story of the chameleon, which can actively change its outer skin color dramatically to adapt to changing environments. For years, this survival skill was attributed to pigments that the chameleon was supposedly able to produce, which flowed into the outer layers of skin and resulted in a change of outer color. But a new study published in the March 10, 2016 issue of Nature Communications has announced that chameleons can rapidly change color by adjusting a layer of special cells nestled within their skin. To investigate how the reptiles change color, researchers studied five adult male, four adult female, and four juvenile panther chameleons, a type of lizard that lives in Madagascar. The scientists found that the chameleons had two superimposed thick layers of iridophore cells, iridescent cells that have pigment and reflect light. The iridophore cells contain nanocrystals of different sizes, shapes, and organizations, which are key to the chameleon's dramatic color shifts, the researchers said. For instance, a male chameleon might be in a relaxed state when it's hanging out on a branch and in an excited state when it sees a rival male. Now, I'll grant you the fact that a lizard and a hairy ape have very little in common, but I'm also curious to know if some of these cryptids have developed a means of camouflage that has enabled them to survive in a world that has become increasingly less wild and more occupied by a very curious mankind. It makes you wonder. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Okay, you say, maybe your skunk ape exists. But once it's found and documented as a 12th generation of an escaped orangutan, what else is there? Here are a few chilling examples of what you might find on your next camping trip, starting with the lizard man of Skateboard Swamp in South Carolina. This reptilian humanoid cryptid is described as being seven feet tall, bipedal, and having scaly lizard skin. And it's said to live in the swamplands of Lee County, South Carolina. The first reported sighting of the creature was in 1988, when 17-year-old Christopher Davis saw the creature running toward him while he was changing a tire beside Skateboard Swamp. Davis got in his car to escape, but the lizard man jumped onto the roof and clung to it as the teen tried to throw it off. When he returned home, Davis found that his side-view mirror was damaged and there were deep scratch marks across the car's roof. For the next month, there were further reports of an aggressive lizard-like creature and more reports of unusual scratches and bite marks on cars parked near the swamp. 
Police were skeptical, but stated that a sufficient number of sightings by reliable people led them to believe that something was being seen, although they thought it was likely a bear. The Sheriff's Department made plaster casts of what appeared to be large three-toed footprints to send to the FBI, but decided against sending them after the South Carolina Marine Resources Department said they were unclassifiable. Reports of the lizard man declined over the next few years, but in 2011, a couple reported that their car had been mauled, and the former Lee County Sheriff said the damage was very similar to the 1988 incidents. Then as a father and son report from Maine, Turner, Maine, a 12-year-old boy and his father have captured video of what some researchers believe could be a Bigfoot creature. The eyewitnesses, who were not named by investigators, said that two sightings took place around their property. My dad got a video of either a person or what we think, I don't know, maybe a Bigfoot or something, walking up this wood line and it just goes right into the woods. And there are actually a couple of tracks, he told Bill Brock and Al Marston, members of the cryptid research organization Team Rogue. The first video shows just a few seconds of a human-like dark figure walking across the woods. The second clip, which is about one minute long, shows a similarly shaped silhouette walking slowly along a fence located between the resident's house and the woods. The kid, who claims to have been hearing howls he cannot positively identify, was reportedly shaken by the events. Somebody might be out there, maybe hunting or something, but really there's no season right now, explained Brock, also a host of the TV show Monsters Underground. If anything, you have someone on your property walking around, or it's a freaking Bigfoot. And even though the purported creature appears to walk like a human, particularly in the first video, Brock says that these animals may have a few kinds of body types just like humans. The Turner Triangle, a Bigfoot hotspot in Maine that includes the area where the videos were filmed, is well known to both investigators. Brock has even come up with a theory to explain the increasing Bigfoot activity in the area. We think these things migrate through this area and we're on the edge of what could be a migration pattern. It's just getting cold now, so these creatures are going to be moving from north where it gets snowy down to the coast in order that they can still eat, he said. The witnesses, Brock explained, are located right in the middle of this migration, which would account for the recent sightings. Brock believes that the father and son were sincere about the alleged Bigfoot encounters. On October 2014, another young boy from Eddington, Maine, claimed to have witnessed a white Bigfoot creature running into the woods near his family's property. This story from Big Stone Gap, Virginia, February 7, 2015. A woman came forward Tuesday regarding a Bigfoot encounter she claimed to have experienced decades ago. Patty Long, currently a resident of Indianapolis, said she was only nine years old when she and her aunt, Sarah, came upon the alleged beast in a small lake of Wise County, Virginia. I was a very curious little girl, and you know, as children back then, we pretty much had freedom like they don't have now. And to go on the mountains to explore, go swimming on a hot day in a lake down by the woods, was pretty much an everyday thing for us, she told Sasquatch investigator Ed Brown in a 48-minute long interview. The two girls were reportedly swimming in a lake near what she called the Jimmy Hot Dog area on a hot summer day when they noticed a deer carcass floating in the water. There was a field that we would walk through. There was this big lake. We got there a lot, all the time. 
That day we got into the water, playing around. I look over to the right and tell my aunt, Ew, what is that? As they approached the dead animal to investigate, says Long, they heard a loud grunt-like noise coming from behind the bushes. When we looked over, we could see it. The creature was hunched down. We saw it stand up, looking straight at us. He sat there for maybe about five seconds before he stood up, she said. Long says the animal was about 30 feet away from them. He looked at us for a couple of seconds like saying, Are you guys going to run? But according to the eyewitness, they were so terrified of what they were seeing, they couldn't move. It was then when the purported creature apparently decided to take off into the woods. We were just stunned. We were there with our mouth open like, what the? He just turned around and started walking. You could hear he was just picking up pace, trees knocking into each other like firecrackers, really loud pops, she explained. She describes the animal as a seven-foot-tall human-like creature with five-inch-long brown hair covering its face and body. It was a big human head, extensive hair growing. It looked like a humongous man. Long confesses that back then she had no idea what Bigfoot was, but that now she is sure what they saw that day was not a bear nor a human. It was not a bear. When you grow up in the mountains, you see bears regularly. Bears can stand up, but this was more like a man. He is shaped like a man. The animal, says Long, didn't appear overly aggressive. I don't know if Bigfoot was cleaning the deer. Any animal I know, they don't like when you put your hand down to their food. We were so small, we could have been easily overtaken. His reaction was kind of make a loud noise to make us know he's there, and he left. I think he was letting us know he was there, or he was mad. I knew he could have killed us. Brown, a no-kill advocate who has been investigating the Bigfoot phenomenon for many years and is part of the Big Truth community group on Facebook, believes the reported animal was just trying to scare away the girls so that he could eat its meal. It sounds to me like he had just got a kill and he was ready to eat. He heard you guys coming and he hid, hoping you would just walk by. But when he saw them swimming and then they saw the deer, he was a little upset, he said. Lucky for you, he told the woman during the interview. Some Bigfoot research organizations, such as BFRO, theorize that the cryptid exhibits a natural curiosity toward domesticated animals, loud noises like cars or chainsaws, and especially the screaming of children at play. Cindy Barone, a 13-year-old girl from Michigan, claimed to have found a Bigfoot in her barn in 1981, saying she had been able to touch the creature's fur. In 2014, a 10-year-old boy from Kentucky claimed he saw a Bigfoot creature staring at him through a window outside his home. Long claims not to be a member of any Bigfoot organization and believes that what she saw that day was the real cryptid, and she wants people to accept its existence. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind what we saw was a Bigfoot. I know it was a Bigfoot. People should know this is an animal we haven't found yet. What is so hard for people to believe there's an animal like this? They should realize he's not a monster, she said. Then there's the Jersey Devil. Since the 1700s, there have been thousands of reported sightings of this cryptid in the New Jersey Pinelands. Described as a kangaroo-like creature with the head of a dog, bat-like wings, horns, and a forked tail, the animal is said to prowl through the marshes of southern New Jersey and spook people with its hideous appearance. Although there are many stories about the creature's origins, the most commonly accepted is that in 1735 there was a woman called Mother Leeds who had 12 children. 
She stated that if she gave birth to one more child, it would be the devil. And when her 13th child was born, it transformed into the Jersey devil, killed its mother, and flew screaming into the woods. To this day, residents of cities near the Pinelands have reported hearing the devil's screams late at night. However, skeptics say the creature is nothing more than a story created by English settlers. And there's the Loveland Frog in Ohio. This humanoid creature with the face of a frog was first spotted in Loveland, Ohio in 1955. A businessman said he saw several creatures with green skin, webbed hands, and wide mouths squatting under a bridge. And one of the creatures reportedly held up a bar-like device that emitted sparks, leaving a strong odor of alfalfa and almonds behind. There were no further sightings of the Loveland Frog until 1972 when police, including Officer Mark Matthews, said they saw a frog-faced man jump over a rail and into the Little Miami River. Weeks later, a farmer reported seeing the creature riding a bicycle, and then Officer Mark Matthews saw the Loveland Frog for the second time. This time it was lying in the road, and Matthews shot at it, but it escaped. However, in 2001, Matthews retracted his story, saying it wasn't a monster and was probably just a pet lizard that got too large for its aquarium. This last report of the men with frogs' faces kind of uh, got my curiosity up. So the first thing I did was go to Google, and I Googled UFO sightings in Loveland, Ohio, 1955. And bing, wouldn't you know, I came up with two. One is a differently worded repeat of the first that we've already brought attention to. I'll read that one for you. And then the second is a totally different one. But here's what we have. July 1955, Loveland, Ohio. Carlos Flanagan, driving a truck over a bridge, noticed a terrible smell and saw four, in quotes, more or less human-looking, end quote, figures, three foot tall, in quotes, moving about oddly, end quote, on the riverbank beneath the bridge. He claimed they had wrinkles on their heads instead of hair. He said one was holding a wand-like spark-emitting device. He reported it to the local police quarters. And another one, location Loveland Heights, Ohio, again, July 1955. Again, time is listed as night here. Mrs. Emily Magnone and her husband, awakened by their dogs barking, smelt a strong odor like swamp. Their next-door neighbor went out to investigate and saw, 15 feet away, a three-foot little man entirely covered with twigs or foliage. Whenever she turned on the porch light, the little man disappeared, but would reappear in the same place when it was turned off. I don't have anything other than that, but two interesting sightings there. Try this. You've got four men... Uh, creatures, as the case may be, piloting an alien craft. And for some reason, you've got to ditch it. Uh, it just happens to be in Loveland, Ohio. You might have to ditch in a lake uh, so that if you can't recover it, at least hopefully it can't be found. Then you've got to start taking care of yourselves and figure out how the heck you're going to get off this planet. Uh, I don't know if they, at that point, they call for help or if they just find a place and disappear. But uh, as far out there as it sounds, you just never know. The Hibagon is the Japanese equivalent of the North American Bigfoot or the Himalayan Yeti. Sightings have been reported since the 1970s around Mount Hiba in Hiroshima Prefecture. The Hibagon is described as a black creature with white hands and large white feet, standing about five feet tall, and has been said to resemble a gorilla. The Hibagon has a large nose, large, deep, glaring eyes, and is covered with bristles. Theories to account for this cryptid range from a gorilla, a wild man, 
or a deserter from the Japanese chefs to an individual ravaged by atomic radiation from the nuclear attack on Hiroshima. A sighting from 1972 reports that the creature has a chocolate brown face and is covered with brown hair and is said to have deep, glaring eyes. In two reports by a Mr. Sazawa and a Mrs. Harada, the creature took no hostile action and fled from four armed residents intent on hunting it. Japanese Boy Scouts claimed to find footprints 25 centimeters in length and 15 centimeters in width. We have listed a number of interesting videos in our show notes, and there are hundreds more to be found by searching Bigfoot sightings, as most of the world's cryptid sightings of the humanoid variety are now grouped under the Bigfoot heading. So now I'm leaving it up to you to share anything you know or anything you feel is interesting at our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash 1001 Heroes this week. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. You can also find us wherever podcasts are found. We reach a worldwide audience with our network of 1001 Heroes and 1001 Classic Short Stories. And by the way, we're doing Algernon Blackwood's The Wendigo this week at 1001 Classic Short Stories. The Wendigo is a hominid cryptid which has come up through Indian legend in the north woods of America and is still being sighted today. This one is a fierce, demon-like entity that enters the soul of some men who stare into its eyes, turning them into cannibals. There are many tales of the Wendigo, among which Blackwood's tale is one of the best-known stories. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn, and this is our story. And now it's time for that blooper I promised you. In the Bahamas, a tribe of two-foot-tall mini-yetis called yahoos was spotted on Lubber's Island. They apparently had four eyes, a pair in front and a pair in back. Their feet faced backward, and they played absolutely lovely, and they played abs- and they played, <laughs> and they played, I'm trying to hold it together, absolutely lovely music on homemade instruments. An old man claimed to have been kidnapped by the yahoos for three days as a boy and fed bananas. One writer postulated they might be a remnant of the lost continent of Atlantis. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.